All right. Well, we are continuing our series titled Devoted today, and we're looking at four things that the early church or the earliest believers in Christianity and Jesus Christ were devoted to. And we're finding the basis for this in Acts chapter 2. But today, I want to start with a passage of Scripture from Luke chapter 22. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22, if you got one of our new test or our, our blue uh, NIV Bibles, those are in the seats in front of you, and it's page 1637. Um, or you can follow along on, on a device or in a Bible that you bring to church with you. But here is the account of the Last Supper. Today we're going to be focused on being devoted to the breaking of bread or to the fellowship meal that we call today the Lord's Supper or communion. And here's where it has its roots in Scripture. Luke 22, verses 7 through 30. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you to a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. That should come as no surprise. So they prepared the Passover. And when the hour had come, Jesus and his disciples reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and he gave thanks and broke it. And gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine at the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be, who would do this? And this next part just blows me away, considering the moment, considering everything that had led up to it and everything that was going to immediately follow it. Also, a dispute arose among them, the disciples, as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. So Jesus has told them, I'm going to die. I'm going to give my life for the sins of the world. He just took the cup, passed it around, says this is the new cup of the new covenant in my blood. And they're worried about which of them is the greatest. Then Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trial, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. 
So that's going to set the backdrop for us today as we continue our series, as we continue to examine each week one of the four things that the early church was devoted to. We started this series with the fact that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, not to the law and the prophets, not to the Old Testament, but to the apostles' teaching, to the apostles making application of the huge significance that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection had for the new thing that he was doing in the world. Then last week we looked at the fellowship. Today we're looking at the breaking of bread. And next week we will conclude the series with the, the, the devotion that the disciples had to prayer. And if you missed it last week, you really missed something. I know I said that last week too. But if you missed last week, you missed the, the baptisms, you missed the celebration, you missed the worship. And so I'm so glad that you're here today. I'm so glad that you made the effort to be here today. And I hope that, that you will do that every single week. We started this series with the idea that Christianity is not Judaism 2.0. It's not just a new release of the same software, so to speak. That's where we get that 2.0 language. And the idea that Christianity says for you, for the person sitting in your chair, Christianity doesn't represent you 2.0, a slightly improved or modified version of yourself, but a whole new creation, a whole new creation. And last week's bottom line carried that idea forward as we were focused on the fellowship, the koinonia, that Greek word that we call koinonia that really has to do with community and spiritual partnership and and unity together one with another, that idea that they were devoted to that. And we used Paul's language that he uses several times in the New Testament that, that the body of Christ, the body of believers, that the church really is to function as a body. And our bottom line was that bodies are better when they stick together. In an unforgettable association that several people have commented on, there's nothing more unnatural than a disconnected body part, right? My hand is wonderful, and it doesn't draw that much attention as long as it's connected to my body. But if I take it off and set it on the table and go over here, you won't be able to get your eyes off of it, right? Because there's nothing more unnatural than a disconnected body part. And when we think about our devotion to the fellowship, to the koinonia, to the community that God has desired for us to experience together as the body of Christ, there's nothing more unnatural than a disconnected member of the body. No member or no part is more important or less important other than Jesus Christ who is the head over all of it and it all holds together in him and through him. So that was last week. This week... We are going to focus on the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. And that is found in Acts 2, 42 and 46. We've been looking at this passage each time. We're just going to look at verse 42 and 46 today. um, And then we're going to dive into this idea of the Last Supper and communion. And what it really represented to the early church. That they would be so devoted to it. Remember, devotion is, is persistence even in the face of difficulty, that there were difficulties. It became increasingly difficult, increasingly dangerous for them to come together and to participate in the Lord's Supper together. There were rumors going around of a new cult or a new sect, and they were all cannibals because they were meeting together to eat the body of someone and drink the blood of someone. And they didn't understand. The people outside the church didn't understand the, the symbolism and understand the Christ's teaching on this subject. 
So they, there was all kinds of confusion. And if you read history and historical accounts outside of Scripture, there's references to these new cults that were springing up. And people from outside of those cults actually thought, people outside of Christianity thought that it was a cult of cannibals. And so there was persecution coming from that angle. There was persecution coming from the Jews. There was persecution coming from the Roman government. And it became increasingly dangerous to be devoted to this. Yet here's what we read in verse 42 and 46 of Acts chapter 2. We're told they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. You skip down to verse 46 and we read, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So there's a couple things that we need to make sure we understand about communion, about the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper as we have come to call it today. If you grew up in a more liturgical uh, tradition like the Catholic Church or some of the mainline denominations, they refer to this as the Eucharist. The Eucharist, and that comes from the Greek word to give thanks, eucharistero. You probably noticed in the passage that we read in Luke that he gave thanks for the bread, he gave thanks for the cup, and this idea of the thanksgiving being what we do, and that's how we remember him, and we remember him at communion. The first thing I want you to understand, though, very, very clearly, is just just like Christianity isn't Judaism 2.0, and the new creation that Christ desires for you to be is not you 2.0, communion is not Passover 2.0. It's not the celebration. It happened at Passover, and it has a lot of symbolism, and it has a lot of rooting in Passover, in the Jewish practice of Passover. But it is not simply a modification of Passover, as we'll see. And this is really important, because any of you ever lived in Texas or known somebody that did? Some of you have? Some of you, anybody from Texas? Well, they have a saying in Texas, and I hear it all the time. And what's the saying in Texas? Don't mess with Texas, right? Don't mess with Texas. Well, the reason I bring that up is because for the Jewish people, Passover was kind of like Texas. You don't mess with Passover, okay? You can change a lot of things. You can modify a lot of things, but don't mess with Passover. So what we just read in Luke, the passage that we read was revolutionary to them at the time, okay? This kind of slides right by us because we've grown up in the context and this isn't as revolutionary to us as it was to them. But there's a few verses I want to look at in particular. Verse 7 told us that, that it was on the day of unleavened bread as part of the Passover celebration when the lamb was supposed to be sacrificed. That's really significant because Jesus is that lamb of God who takes away the sin of the earth. Then in verse 15, we read that Jesus said, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. Knowing all that was to come, he had eagerly desired this Passover. He had eagerly desired the initiation of the new covenant, the new covenant that Jeremiah spoke about hundreds of years earlier in Jeremiah 31, where he says, I will, I will replace this old covenant with a new covenant. And Jesus is so excited to be able to initiate that and to inaugurate that. In verse 20, he tells them, this is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. This is revolutionary stuff, okay? Because what was the old covenant? The old covenant 
The blood that was spilled was the, the sacrificial animals, the bulls and the goats and, the, and the, the sacrifices that were brought into the temple in order to atone for the sins of the people, and they were poured out for God. So Jesus is saying, no, it's a new covenant. It's in my blood, not the blood of goats and bulls, which you can read all about that in Hebrews. It's a new covenant in my blood, and my blood is going to be poured out for you for the remission of your sins once for all. This is revolutionary stuff because in the old covenant there were multiple sacrifices needed all the time there were sacrifices needed every year there were sacrifices needed every time you came to worship god there were sacrifices needed jesus comes and he says this is a new covenant it's one sacrifice for all my blood for you this is new stuff this is not this is not passover 2.0 this is a whole new ball game and he gives them the instruction as often as you do this Implying that we ought to do this again. We ought to do this often. We ought to be devoted to the breaking of bread in fellowship with one another according to the apostles' teaching. You see how this all starts to stitch together. He says, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And that's why we do it today. That's why we do communion. And we plan it into our, our calendar. We do communion once a month. And the only reason we ever really move communion is in order for more people to be able to participate. If we know it's going to fall on a holiday weekend or something and a lot of people are gone, we might move communion every now and then. But there's nowhere in Scripture that says to do it monthly or quarterly. I think the Wesleyan church teachings say to do it at least quarterly. Some traditions do it weekly. Some have it available weekly. You may have noticed the communion services here today. We're going to have an opportunity for you to respond to the message today in communion. And as you do it, to do it in remembrance of him. But right now, I want to read you a lengthy quote from a book uh, from Francis Chan, from his book, Letters to the Church. And he really dives into what communion was like for those earliest believers. And I want to encourage you to just sit back and listen to this. And in the middle paragraph, I'll encourage you to close your eyes and picture things because this is a powerful, powerful insight into what communion was like for the early church. He writes this. He says, The first disciples devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, which in the New Testament refers to a shared meal in which they celebrated the Lord's Supper. Think of what this would have been like for them. Jesus had a profound impact on all the people in the early church. His sacrificial death on the cross and subsequent resurrection were very real to them. They'd happened in that first generation, essentially. They were misunderstood and opposed by the people around them, Some were beaten or even put to death for following Jesus. They were not in the majority like we are today. The majority of people profess a faith in God. The majority of people identify as Christians. But that was not the case for this early church that was devoted to the breaking of bread. Now I want you to close your eyes if you haven't already. And imagine with me what it would have meant to them when they gathered with the few people who shared their mission and beliefs. Imagine sitting around a table and sharing a meal with people who loved you unconditionally and whose lives had changed in the same way as yours. As you gather, you can't help but remember those who used to sit at the table with you but were killed for proclaiming this resurrection. Some who gather with you have injuries and scars from the persecution. You break the bread and eat it, remembering that Jesus had broken his body so you could find life in him. Imagine drinking from the cup with these fellow believers as you recall how his blood was shed. He did this for you so you could be cleansed and forgiven of all your sins. Can you see how powerful this experience would have been for the church every single time they gathered? 
You can open your eyes now if you want, or you can keep them closed. But if communion has become boring for us now, it could be that we've lost sight of the value of Jesus' sacrifice. When communion feels like an obligation rather than a life-giving necessity, a serious heart scan needs to take place. God designed communion to be an intimate act of remembering his flesh and blood. More than just an exercise of the mind, he wanted us to actually eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And communion is not just about intimacy with Jesus. It's also about intimacy with one another. Remember that Jesus had just washed the disciples' feet and commanded them to love one another as he loved them. And I love the way he said that communion is not just about intimacy with Christ. It's also about intimacy with each other. And I've been guilty at different times of forgetting the second half of that. That true communion, true fellowship with, with the Lord leads us into fellowship with each other. So our bottom line today is that communion is not just about intimacy with Jesus. It's also about intimacy with each other. It's about sharing together with each other. And I want to finish with a passage of Scripture that is addressed to one New Testament church that really got this wrong, that really got this wrong. Did you know that that's the context of the passage that we read so often in communion services in 1 Corinthians chapter 11? He's actually addressing the Corinthian church because word had gotten to Paul that this Last Supper had gotten way off track, way off the rails. And so he kind of begins this passage by, by explaining to them, you know, you, if you're hungry, eat at home, okay? The la- the, the, you're celebrating the Lord's Supper. You're celebrating his death for you. You're remembering that. And, you, you know, they were getting in fights over, much like the apostles, they're getting over in fights over who got to go first, and there wasn't enough for the people at the end and all kinds of things. So that's where the context for this when he starts talking about the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 32. But here's what he says, and, he, and he's teaching. This is the apostles' teaching to the fellowship about the breaking of bread. He says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death and by extension his resurrection until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats of the bread or drinks of the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. We, when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So it's, it's interesting. I find this passage right before the spiritual gifts and the teaching on the body of Christ that we looked at last week. That, that the body is to be one not to be struggling and striving with each other. And so just as the disciples at the moment of the Last Supper got into a little squabble over which of them was the greatest, we always have this this propensity to make anything that we do about us 
instead of making it about him and about each other. And that's why this teaching is so important to us. And it's so important, and I didn't, I didn't point it out in the Luke passage, but Paul references this as well. In verse 25, he tells us that it was after supper that Jesus took the cup. It was after supper, and that's really significant in a Jewish context. It's not as significant to us today. It's easy to read over that. But the Passover meal that they were participating in, the Passover meal has four different cups. And the cup that comes after the meal, after supper, is the cup of redemption. It's the cup of redemption in the blood of Christ. That's the cup when Jesus says this is the cup of the new covenant. There's a new way that redemption is taking place in and through Jesus Christ, and it's through his blood shed on the cross for our sins. And this is so significant. It's the idea of the old covenant being broken over and over again. The new covenant being settled once for all on our behalf by Jesus Christ. Paul gets into this a little bit in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 25. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 25. These are going to be on the screen behind me, so you don't need to turn there if you don't want to. But here's what he says in Romans chapter 3. He says, all have sinned and, are, and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. So he's making it very, very clear that this new covenant is different than the covenant that came before it. It's not just improved, it's brand new, and it is a covenant wherein our, penalty, our, our sin has been paid for by Jesus Christ's death on the cross, not by us continually bringing sacrifices to him. So just like communion is not Passover 2.0, it's not that we need to bring a new sacrifice each time to pay for the penalty of our sins. Instead, we remember and we celebrate Christ's sacrifice on our behalf each time we do this, whether we do it weekly or monthly or quarterly or annually. We do it in remembrance of him. And if you're really into this and you want to learn more about it, Paul addresses this whole subject very in-depth in 2 Corinthians chapters 3 and the first half of 4. So if you want a chapter and a half of teaching on how the new covenant is different than the old covenant and how it all relates together, you can read that and study that this week. But I want to finish with this idea that he references in verse 27. He says, Whoever eats the bread... Or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood. I don't want to do that. I'm going to go out on a limb and say you don't want to do that. That's not your desire to do that. So what is a worthy manner and how are we to remember? Well, I think there are two two main ways that we do this. The first is we remember Christ's sacrifice for us. Christ's sacrifice for us for us. Not our sacrifice for him, but his sacrifice for us. And that compels us to sacrifice for him. And then we remember his service for others and his command to love others. In John 13, same setting, same meal. He's just washed the disciples' feet. He says, a new command I give you, that you would love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So there's the vertical relationship. As you think about this, there's the vertical relationship that we have with God. We remember Christ. We remember his sacrifice for us. We remember him making us right before God. That's what righteousness really is. Through our faith in what Jesus has done, we become right with God. But we don't stop there. 
because Jesus died on the cross. The cross has a horizontal element as well. And this is how you can remember this as you think and you remember Christ and his sacrifice for us and also his call to each and every one of us to serve and to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that is how we remember communion. That is how we make sure that we are not taking these elements in an unworthy manner, but we clear the slate before God and we seek to clear the slate before our brothers and sisters in Christ and the world around us. Bottom line is communion is not just about intimacy with Christ. It's also about intimacy with each other. You're going to have an opportunity to respond today, and I hope every single person takes advantage of this opportunity. I know we serve communion on the first of the month, and it threw a few people off when they walked in and said, wait, is this the first of the month or is this the third Sunday of the month? Well, it was intentional. I I didn't want to preach a message on communion and not give you an opportunity to respond and to receive communion with fresh insight and a fresh experience of God's incredible love for you. But I want to sort of set the table for that with one of my favorite Old Testament stories. It's the story of David and Mephibosheth. And I shared this story once here before, but in case you've forgotten it, It's this powerful story of David after he has become king, after his throne is secure and his kingdom is established. One day he says, is there not anyone of the house of Jonathan that I can show love to? Is there no one left? And the history or the historical context of this type of thing was more like, is there anyone of the previous king's house that I need to kill that I haven't killed yet? That was what kings did when their throne was secure. They killed everybody that could possibly raise a revolt. David asks a different question, and he says, is there anyone I can show love to? And he finds out that there is this man, Mephibosheth, who is a son of Jonathan. And you might remember that David and Jonathan were like brothers. They had a covenant with each other to care for each other and each other's family if something would happen to the other. And so David is making good on his relationship with Jonathan. And he finds out about Mephibosheth, and he finds out that Mephibosheth was dropped when he was a child, and he's lame in both feet. And so he is not going to be able to make it on his own in this world. And David reaches out to him and brings him into the palace and says, I'm going to restore all that belonged to Saul to you. A king's possession now comes to Mephibosheth. And on top of that, he says, not only that, I'm going to to hire a servant to work the land for you and to bring in all the produce. And you're going to have wealth beyond imagination. And not only that, you're going to eat at my table. And the significance of eating at the king's table for Mephibosheth is something we should not breeze past. Because he was lame in both feet. And the king's table would have an apron across it. It would hide Mephibosheth's shame. And we've come a long way in society today in not making a disability a thing of shame. But in the Old Testament time, If you had a disability, if you had an injury like this, if you had some disfigurement, it was often perceived as a punishment from God. That that's why he was dropped, because he or his parents sinned. We see this in John 9 when Jesus encounters a man born blind, and they say, who sinned, him or his parents? This just gives us insight into what was the prevailing thinking of the day. But David takes Mephibosheth and says, you're going to sit at my table. There's an apron there. Nobody will see that you're lame. They'll consider you royalty. Because you're sitting at the king's table. And this is exactly what Jesus has done for us. And this is exactly what we celebrate every time we take these elements. That we don't belong at the table on our own. There is nothing we can do to earn the grace of God that is represented in this new covenant that Jesus brought to us on our behalf. 
we can only receive it. And if we're honest, we know that we've been carried to the table by Christ. We can't even get there on our own. We can't take communion. We can only receive communion as the gift that it is. And so I want to encourage you today to respond in faith to the word that you have heard by coming forward and receiving the elements. We'll do this a little differently than we normally do it. We've got a couple of songs prepared to lead us through this time of response. I want to invite you to come forward, come down these aisles, come across, receive the elements, and just take one. You can kneel at the altar. You can kneel over in the corner. You can find one of these seats up front and take communion together as a family. We won't participate in it together all at once like we normally do. This is your voluntary response. And if you want to say a short prayer, you know, together as a family, or you want to group up with somebody else, you're welcome to do that. But however you choose to respond, my prayer is that you'll come forward, you'll receive communion with a new and a fresh appreciation and remembrance of him. If you need someone to bring the elements to you, Pastor Zach will be here. He'll be going around, get his attention. He'll come to you, serve you where you are. This is your opportunity to respond. Would you bow with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the new covenant in your blood just poured out for us. Thank you for not only setting the table, but bringing us to the table, covering our shame, treating us like royalty, adopting us into the family of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Lord, help us to respond in faith today. Help us to do this in remembrance for you, your perfect love for us, and in a commitment to love those around us well. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Please, come as you're able.